0: Enjoy.
1: Scott M. Paul is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And the AAM is a partnership that was established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for the past five years, Mr. Paul and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters. And it, it really should be if you look at the history of our nation and where we are. And also, to make it a top-of-mind issue to national leaders. They do this at AAM, and specifically Scott, through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the program a friend of mine personally and professionally and of yours. I know people, you learn a lot from him, Mr. Scott M. Paul. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday.
2: Leslie, happy Tuesday to you.
1: You know what? I constantly, you know I'm one of the few uh, liberals on Fox News Channel. And I, you know, people assume that I'm an Obama-loving Democrat. Anything the president says or does, I agree with. And that's how it is for the rest of us Democrats, who also usually refer to ourselves as progressive uh, or liberal. But that is not the case with certain policy, legislation, or deals that we don't think are good. And uh, right now, in the United States, there is a movement, not just on the left, but especially on the left, liberals democrats that are furious with the president over his comments on trade and this fast track and these deals he's trying to push through that are not good for the american people um the fact that so many liberals are furious with the president and his comments on trade first off would be a red flag to me if i were president wouldn't it to you scott
2: Uh, i think it would be i think it should be um and The president is not only at odds with, you know, a lot of progressives, and, you know, that's labor, uh, environmental groups, um, consumer advocates, uh, even groups like the AARP uh, have raised concerns uh, about this, uh, but he's at odds with himself. I mean, when, when he was a senator and when he was running for president, he spoke a lot about trade and what he saw were the problems with uh george george w bush's trade agenda uh and and the problems with currency manipulation and the fact that uh they weren't strong agreements and you fast forward to today and you know it's a lot of the same arguments that are being made about obama's trade agenda and and they're they're true really and so the base has been very consistent on trade policy, Obama's base. You know, the, the person who hasn't been consistent is, is the president himself. And he's shifted. He's shifted way to the right on this. Um, and unfortunately, the policies that he is now promoting, uh, they don't do anything to address currency manipulation, which we've talked about for a long time. And it's not only progressives are cur- concerned about this, but the American automobile industry is concerned about this. The American steel industry is concerned about this. It doesn't address in any real way the disparity that we have with some of these nations, either on workers' rights, access to their markets, or or what have you. And so I'm glad that progressives are saying we're just not going to rubber stamp Uh, an agreement that the president is negotiating. What is perplexing to me, Leslie, is that Republicans are saying we are willing to rubber stamp an agreement the president is negotiating when they have never rubber stamped anything whatsoever that that he has done. And and I guess that's also the part that's a little shocking to me.
1: You know what's also shocking to me is what the president said, and I quote, uh, referring to critics, especially those critics on the left, who were his supporters, right, his base largely, That, quote, don't know what they're talking about. And he also compared the arguments being made by those who are angry about TPP or angry about this and other trade deals. He compared the arguments of those on the left, like myself, to conspiracy theories about death panels. And that was really, I think, insulting and offensive to many of us on the left to compare us to something ludicrous that came out of the mouth of Sarah Palin
2: it was more than ludicrous it was offensive and what what i get the sense is that you know and i and i know the the white house correspondence dinner had this big riff on you know obama's anger and how it's translated but 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 here is a piece of it and and, and he's frustrated that his friends are not saying yes to something that they think is a is a bad idea and and so it's like it's, he, he's kind of lashing out. I mean, that, that happens sometimes. I mean, I, I don't often lose my temper, but that's certainly one of the, the, the things that can, that can happen. And it is, but, but the, the problem here is, I mean, the death panels were obviously a phony argument. Any argument that I have seen, and I've read every publicly available bit of the secret agreement. Um, I know a lot of others have, too. A lot of senators who have had, had some access to the text have read it, and they understand it, uh, and they have a fundamental disagreement with the president on this. Uh, and I know for sure, and I will say this, you know, we've asked him to put uh, provisions in that would deter currency manipulation by Japan and other countries. We've, we've asked this consistently for the last three years, Two hundred and Thirty some members of the House of Representatives, sixty senators, asked him to do this. And there's, you know, why I know this isn't a death panel issue because there is nothing in there on currency manipulation. I mean, there's there's nothing whatsoever, and the administration even admits that and says, "Sorry, we're not going to do it." So, if
1: if there is any death panel, Scott, and although that would be an extreme, you know, statement that the president made, um, if anything, it is a death panel for perhaps American jobs. American exports, which we've already been through death and are trying to become reincarnated from.
2: Yeah, yeah, I that's, that, that's about as close as it gets. Look, you know, Sarah Palin is is wrong about almost everything, including the death panels. And so what? What I'm, you know, Elizabeth Warren is a you know is a Harvard professor. You know, one of the greatest consumer advocates who's looked at this, Lori Wallach, went to Harvard Law School with Mike Froman, the U.S. trade ambassador, and the president. I mean, these people don't make stuff up. They read it, uh, they they analyze it, and they interpret it. And it is – and we have a lot of experience with this with this, and so I look, and here's the here's the last thing that I'll say about this, Leslie. That you know, so a group of economists did a study on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, you know, Obama's trade agenda, and they did it for the proponents of the agreement, and and it concludes that the agreement, you know, may have some benefits for some people in the American economy, but overall, it's not going to have a lot for anybody. But for manufacturing, it's going to raise the manufacturing trade deficit. That means. More layoffs, and these are the proponents of the agreements that are that are conceding this. So this is far from a death panel argument. This is these, these are facts on the ground, and unfortunately, the president who's using the rhetoric on this and who's saying trust me, and I, you know, I'm kind of a trust but verify guy. I mean, I want to I want to see it on paper. I want to see Congress have a role, uh, and if the president's unwilling to do a lot of that, then we have to say no.
1: What I also, you know, everybody, you, everybody that I have spoken to that knows some of what's in this very secretive uh, deal, and I want to talk about that, the secretive, and I want to talk about the need for fast track, the urgency, almost desperation with which the president seems to want to push this through. Uh, and, you know, what, what are the gains? Because, you know, obviously this guy already has, you know, health care uh, as, as a legacy. Immigration reform might be another legacy. Everybody, every president wants to leave a legacy, And certainly presidents, you know, want to leave good stuff for their party and make it easier for their party to stay in office, whether they like the candidate or not at the end of the day. But everyone, yourself included, has said, look, it does not offset the deficit that we have between export and import. It does not. It doesn't benefit us. There was a movie years ago called Jimmy uh, Jerry Maguire and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character said, show me the money, show me the money. Well, in, in any deal. You, you want to say, show me what we're getting out of this. Show me the jobs. Show me the money. Show me the benefit. And that that just isn't there from the information that everyone seems to know uh, based on leaks from what is so secretive.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm going to throw another Jerry Maguire line. Uh, not you had me at hello, but, but yet another one. Um, uh, let me help let me help you, or have, help me help you. Let me help me help you. And Cuba Gooding Jr. and Tom Cruise had this riff. And we want to help the president. We, we want to make this a good agreement. But so far, he has not listened to us, and that is unfortunately what the what the problem is. Is that it, it, and and the letters he wrote as a senator in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, he's completely ignoring. The critiques that, that the very good critiques that, that he included in in the time of, of trade policy, and so uh, it's probably worth an exploration of what the the other arguments the administration is making, and, and they're all about foreign policy. You know, one argument is. Is that well? If we don't do this, China will write the rules. The other is that we have to help Japan's reforms. And and yet another argument is that, you know, we, we will bring Vietnam into you know a community of nations that's more democratic. It will help its people. And, and and throughout the you know throughout the hour, it's probably worth having a brief conversation about those because even those arguments, when you kind of peel. Peel the the, the the kind of appealing sound of it away. Uh, there, there's not much to them, uh, and they'll probably end up uh, ringing very uh, very hollow uh, for folks uh, if if this uh, if this deal is indeed passed.
1: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you, and we'll be back with uh, everybody listening. Actually, not back. You shouldn't go anywhere. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow Scott on Twitter, at scott paul aam. The website for American Manufacturing is AmericanManufacturing.org. Liberals are furious with the president's trade comments, but he said, quote, don't know what they're talking about, liberals, and compared their arguments to conspiracy theories about death panels. And this is a progressive base anger over the trade policy. It certainly has turned ugly. Uh, not ugly, very pretty. Scott Inval, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, joins us. And uh, thank you, Scott, for holding. And uh, welcome back. You know, another thing that surprised me is that the president said this at a gathering of Organizing for Action. It's a grassroots group that spun off of his presidential campaign. I'm sure he knew that he wouldn't have 100 percent fans, at least on this issue, in the audience.
2: It's hard to imagine that he did. And again, I think that You know, uh, know, the president has done a lot of great things for America and for manufacturing workers. There's no question about that. But on trade, he's just got it wrong. And, And unfortunately, we have a long history of presidents, both Democrats and Republicans, who set these kind of lofty foreign policy objectives and want to use trade to get there. And, A, they don't achieve the foreign policy objectives necessarily, and, B, it ends up costing us manufacturing jobs. And, unfortunately, there, there's nothing – I mean, you know, they, they may be changing some words around in NAFTA and the trade agreements, but this isn't a fundamental alteration of the conditions that are contributing to shipping jobs overseas. So you're right, Leslie, it shouldn't be a surprise uh, at all. And, you know, I guess one could argue that, you know, we have a lot of issues, and, and you're right, I mean, Baltimore is, uh, you know, is emblematic of that. We have a lot of serious problems in this country, but I don't think a, a, a lack of imports is one of them, which is unfortunately what this agreement would deliver. So I, I think our time would better, better be spent investing in infrastructure and doing some things like that.
1: Uh, Scott, some people, you know, are very concerned uh, about a couple of things. One, why the secrecy? Is the secrecy because it's an international deal? Some people say when when things are so secret and not transparent, you you know, obviously you don't want the eyes of the public looking at it, perhaps, prior to a deal being made.
2: Well, sure. And so, you know, I don't think anybody is asking to see the the, the tick tock of the negotiations because as you know, you know some negotiations you conduct uh, behind closed doors. I mean that happens in, in labor negotiations, but there's always a, a reasonable chance to review things. And so here is the, this is like the chicken and the egg dilemma. So Obama wants Congress to give him this authority. That will then limit their ability to make changes to the agreement at, at all. They won't be able to make any changes to the agreement. Uh, and, and then, you know, once the agreement is done, yes, they will have basically 60 days to review the implementing legislation, but, but, but they won't have any opportunity whatsoever to make any changes or suggestions to it. And so the whole idea of this fast track process is, a difficult one to reconcile because he's basically saying, well, I need you to trust me, and then you'll be able to look at it, uh, but you're not going to be able to change it. And, and and I don't know that that's a deal that a lot of people would take, <laughs> quite we, frankly. Yeah. And I'm uh, glad the Congress is reluctant to take it.
1: I agree with you, uh, absolutely. We're going to take a break. Uh, that's our short uh, segment in the hour, as you know, Scott. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue talking about this. Uh, if you want to join us, Scott's only with us half hour more. See how time flies. I know there are questions some of you have about this deal and he knows a lot about it and and why this is bad for America. And when we come back, we'll also talk about the fast track and why the president wants this deal and why he wants to fast-track this deal and push it through so quickly, uh, without enough time for Congress to debate this issue, which we as taxpayers, I believe, have the right to do with the vote that elected them to the position. We'll be back after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Scott Paul from the AAS. Scott and Paul is our guest, and we are talking about a trade deal that, that's really not a deal. Uh, but first, first of all, before we, you know, I guess this all does tie in, Scott. Why on earth? Would an intelligent man, which Barack Obama certainly is, want to push this through? And why is he trying to fast-track this? Why the urgency?
2: Leslie, so as as best as I can tell, the primary reasons that the administration is being pushed to do this is for foreign policy if we don't write the rules of trade, China will is, is what is what the president says. So this is the key to ensuring that China, even as it's rising and growing in power, uh, that uh, we we will have a level playing field in Asia for American products, and will somehow apparently be able to impact or hedge against uh, China's uh, influence. Uh, however, th- th- I. Th- we've used these arguments in the past. We used them with NAFTA. We've used them with some other deals. We've used it with China before uh, to to get China into the world trade system. And and, and it really hasn't worked uh, that way. Uh, Another reason is that we want to support the economic reforms that that, uh, the prime minister of Japan is making. And again, you know, some of the reforms are, are probably very good for Japan and they could potentially be good for the United States. The problem is, Something the Japanese government does frequently, which is to intervene in its currency market, it's intervened over 300 times in the last 20 years, gives it a trade advantage. And this agreement will do nothing to stop Japan from doing that. And so we will continue this disparity of where we're only exporting about 20,000 cars a year to Japan. We're getting over a million cars a year in from Japan. Uh, and there, there's nothing in the in the TPP as the president has negotiated that's really going to change that dynamic uh, at all. And, and then, and, and then last is that Vietnam is a part of this, and it would be great to be bring Vietnam into kind of the community of nations, especially after the U.S. history there, which is of course not a great one. But I am not sure that bringing Vietnam in this way is, is actually a good deal for Vietnamese workers. Uh, they don't have same kind of labor rights they can't form independent unions and making them essentially you know uh textile and garment uh low-wage workers uh that are exploited I- i'm not sure how happy they'll be with america under a scenario like that so i have a hard time imagining it but those are i wanted to at least provide you with the rationales uh, that the administration and its supporters are making for try to do, for trying to do this
1: You know, we have done and continue to do business with China. Uh, China has currency manipulation. China is a communist nation. They were once our enemy for crying out loud McCarthyism historically in our country. They had a witch hunt for people that they just pointed out as being communist. And, of course, we know there are absolutely uh, heinous and gross human rights uh, abuse uh, violations um, or human rights violations, you know, human rights abuse you know, that, that can be said for some of these countries, like Vietnam, for example, maybe not on the, the scale of a China simply because of population. But mistreatment of workers, th- this goes against everything that America stands for with regard to work. Um, you know, th- this is why we have unions in this country. This is why people come to the United States for other countries so that they're not treated like slaves, indentured servants, or, or, or abused and are able to, you know, go to work and put food on the table for their family without living in fear on a daily basis. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that a Republican more than a Democrat would favor this, but this seems to be um, profit over caring about people, which definitely is not the M.O. of this president or, or really the mantra of any liberal.
2: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and you look at the other... Uh, supporters of this approach the US Chamber of Commerce you know the business roundtable uh, a a lot of uh, multinational financial services companies and also companies that have shipped jobs overseas and if anybody thinks for a second that they think this is gonna strengthen unions or strengthen the rights of working people they're, they're, they're 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 delusional Uh, I mean, you know, is John Boehner, is Mitch McConnell, uh, are are they going to support uh, something that that strengthens unions, that strengthens the the, the rights of working people? Uh, That is simply not the case. And so I I, – and and it's certainly not an argument that they are making to to the Republican supporters of this. So, again, I think a lot of the arguments and the flourishes that the president and his supporters are making – are very rhetorical, but they're they're not really based on any of the changes that are being proposed in this approach. I mean, is it technically true that the president will be renegotiating NAFTA through the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Yes, it is. But they're they're changing a few words and, and not really the entire direction of the agreement or the dynamics that it sets up, which means you know outsourcing. To other countries and exploitation of those workers uh, overseas—it's that's not a prospect for peace or prosperity uh, or for uh, or or something that uh, I think the president wants to be a part of.
1: Also, I I want you know people to understand because there are just some common sense things here, and like you said, you know here are the arguments for, but I feel that the arguments against are, are much much stronger. This deal and certainly is argued by Democratic lawmakers, by both Democrats and Republicans, by Republican lawmakers, by labor unions, by other groups, and many of which that are actively uh, campaigning against this deal, the TPP. And the argument is that this is a deal that would benefit corporations and foreign nations at the expense of American workers. Now, many people, myself included, would say Bill Clinton was a great president except for NAFTA. And... We are in a position to put into motion things in place that would really enhance job creation in America by not forcing necessarily, but you know, making it very attractive for corporations to set up factories here, bring factories back here and you know uh, manufacturing plants and to create the goods and the products here and they're, they're made better here when we have that because we do have the unions and we have a you know better skilled labor force. So it's so bizarre because if you didn't know who was president, you would think this was a George W. Bush, for example, pushing this through because this does benefit corporations. And it benefits foreign nations at the expense of the American workers. Really, even with the argument, Scott, it still doesn't seem that America gets anything out of this that benefits the American people.
2: It, that's right. I mean, the argument that the president is making is a recycled argument. President Bush'd, Bush used it to promote trade agreements during his presidency. And President Clinton used it to promote NAFTA. We, we've seen the results uh, we certainly know that it's not, not the case. And I just to, you know, I, you you mentioned at the top of the hour uh, what was happening in Baltimore. And I was really struck by something that uh, John Angelos, who is the vice president of the Baltimore Orioles, the baseball club there, uh, lifelong uh, Baltimore. And his dad, actually, Peter Angelos, owns owns the Orioles. W- what he tweeted out the other night was just stunning. He was saying, you know, the baseball game is irrelevant to all of this. But And I'm quoting here, the past four-decade period during which an American political elite have shipped middle-class and working-class jobs away from Baltimore and cities and towns around the U.S. to third-world dictatorships like China— sent tens of millions of good, hard-working Americans into economic devastation and an ever-declining standard of, of living and suffering. Uh, and, and he was providing some of the economic context for the, the struggles that people in Baltimore face every day. And I think he's right. And, and the problem is that instead of yelling at his supporters, the president should be talking to people who don't want to invest in infrastructure. And getting them to do that, who don't want to invest in kind of real job-generating programs that would have a profound benefit for the U.S. economy and do that. But instead, and this is Sherrod Brown saying this, he's like, I've never seen the president work an issue this hard. Not, not the Affordable Care Act, not the minimum wage, not the right to collectively bargain or anything like that. But he's working this issue hard, and, and then he's blaming his supporters, and, and he's a little baffled by all of that, and so am
1: I, Leslie. Let's take some calls in Batavia, Ohio. Tim joins us on Line 5. Tim, good afternoon and welcome. Question or comment uh, regarding uh, TPP. Do you feel that TPP is nothing more than more government control? Yeah, I do.
2: Um, I look around the world and I see countries that perceivably operate under the same premise, and like Greece and uh Russia and uh, Cuba, Venezuela, all of these countries, those government. Whenever you put a blanket over free market enterprise, uh, it doesn't really work out for the people. Um, at least in my my experience, so I I'm not I'm not really a big fan of this TPP, and I must admit I don't know a lot about it. But what I've heard about it. Um, I'm not real excited about it, Leslie.
1: Um, Scott, do you, do you want to uh, speak to what the caller has said before um, the break? Uh, TPP, you, you know, there are many on the right especially that don't like bigger government, right? They, you know, that's a divider between Democrats. They say want, you know, more, you know, big government, federal government, and uh, Republicans on the right don't. Um, is this more about government control, or is it not about government control? Because – if TPP was about government control, at least our government, we'd get more stuff out of this deal, I think.
2: Well, well right, it's certainly about setting the rules of how we trade, and, and that's you know that, that's something that I'm kind of we have globalization, we have international trade. The TPP is not going to stop that. It's not going to start that. It's going to it's going to govern the rules by which we do that. So, so the rules are very Im- important. But one of the challenges, and this is, I think, an interesting facet, is is this currency issue, which is, you know, the government interventions and the exchange rates to gain a trade advantage, which to me seems like it's anti-free market, right? It seems like an anti-free market position. Uh, and so, when we talk about currency manipulation, we're actually defending a very kind of free market system, saying the government should intervene, you know, let you know let let, let economics kind of decide where things should be. Uh, but the president has rejected that, that, that approach. And the other thing I would say is if he simply wanted to lower the tariffs of all the countries, you could do that in an agreement that would be just a couple of pages long. But this thing is going to end up being hundreds if not thousands of pages long because it is going to have all, all of these types of, of, of regulations. Unfortunately, most of them are going to be protecting corporate rights rather than the, the rights of workers who need them the most.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Thank you for that response, Scott. And thank you, uh, Tim, uh, for your call there in Ohio. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to, if we have some more calls, we'll share those, share some tweets. And I have some more questions for Scott regarding this and some other issues in this hour. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Scott Paul. Scott, you wrote a great piece. And thank you for holding a welcome back, my friend. Um, entitled, The TPP Won't Work Without Strong Currency Reform. Now, we have talked about currency manipulation and and tackling that. And you write in this piece, and I'm glad, I love when people remind people what politicians said, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, because we as voters, we as citizens, taxpayers, need to hold them to task when they forget. And the president in 2008 was a senator. Then he made bold statements about tackling currency manipulation. He called President Bush a patsy. In the negotiation and enforcement of trade agreements, and it would say that in a sense, if the president looked in the mirror, he would have to admit with this deal that he's the patsy now. And that,
2: that's the fun—that's the rub, I guess—is that you know, things haven't gotten better. I mean, we still have a high trade deficit with China, which is not a part of the TPP, but but that is impacted by by currency manipulation. We have a high trade deficit with Japan. Uh, we have these auto market access issues which we talked about where we can only export about 20,000 vehicles there and a lot of that's due to, to currency manipulation. Um, and so for the president to say that uh, you know his argument back is like, well we handle this diplomatically and having a legislative solution or part of having it part in the trade deal isn't going to work and, uh, and and in fact, His negotiating team reported back to the Senate that, well, we've asked our partners if they want to deal with currency in the agreement, and they say no. I mean, is that the way you negotiate? I mean, unless you say this is important, we need this in order for it to pass through the Congress, we've got to do this. Of course they're going to say no. They're more than happy to say no to it. And so so he is absolutely guilty of falling into that. Trap, and I, I don't, I, you know, I don't think that he's, you know, in a position to admit it now. But, but I have often said, if this administration had done one thing, just one thing, over the last you know, six years on currency in particular, they wouldn't be having these problems right now. Uh, and, and so, it is totally of the president's making, and it's created a challenge for them. Uh, you know, in the coming weeks when this bill is on the, the Senate floor, Leslie, there will be a lot of conversation about currency manipulation, and it will be coming from Republicans and coming from Democrats, and it will be powerful, and it will be basically uh, the, 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 the indictment President Obama would have given of President Bush back in 2007, or he did give him. He, he's going to hear that repeated, although this time it's going to be about him.
1: Most definitely. We have a lot of people making comments on uh, Twitter, and I wanted to run some of those uh, by you. Um, So let's uh, get to it. And a lot of people retweeting what we're talking about in this hour as well, Scott. Um, When we ask about the White House stating that TPP is the most progressive trade deal in history and includes strict labor environmental protections, Carmen tweets: Subject to what courts? It surrenders U.S. sovereignty to world courts and limits local supervision of violations. First of all, do you agree with Carmen's tweets? And does this deal include strict labor environmental protections? Because I'm hearing completely the opposite from folks that are very angry about this.
2: No, well that's right. And so, there, so these are two issues. One is the the right of corporations basically to uh, essentially sue. To change another government's policies because they feel like their investment has been restricted somehow, and it's called ISDS in the in the annoying acronym acronym laden terminology that surrounds trade deals. ISDS, uh, but but it's a serious concern, um, and and we have had to change our laws in the past because of of rulings that that that, that different trade bodies have made. So it is in some. Uh, in some degree, a, uh, a, a restriction on sovereignty, although the U.S. could continue to pay a fine and not have to make the change, but that's not desirable either. Now, let's go to the other issue, with, which is the, the labor and the environmental protections. And, uh, the, you know, so in NAFTA, they were called, quote-unquote, side agreements. They were not part of the agreement. Uh, so in the TPP, they would be part of the agreement, but unfortunately... Uh, the, the, the the workers' rights, the environmental rights, uh, the standard is there has to be like a persistent pattern of, of non-enforcement of the laws, which is what they call it. Governments have to take the cases. Uh, against each other, and they're usually reluctant to do that, uh, and they still can't get as swift a response or as powerful as response uh, as a lot of other violations that might occur in the trading, or like on intellectual property or things like that, where, where corporations uh, can get a lot of relief. It would take a, a heck of an effort uh, to get to, to get anything changed on on labor rights, and that's that's. Part of the, the, the that's part of the challenge here is that until workers are, are afforded the same rights as the corporations in these trade agreements, they're going to have less powerful. They're, they're going to have less powerful, and they're probably going to see fewer of the benefits of, of, of trade.
1: Carry emails. Scott, I love that you pointed out the economic struggles of the people in Baltimore and tying that to the issue, an issue like TPP. It needs to be explained over and over. It's always the economy. And then uh, David also has an email for you. One important piece of NAFTA and Central American trade deals is that you import low value goods, those three T shirts for one, five, or ten dollars, and you at very least slow down illegal migration. Less than a minute, Scott. True?
2: Uh, not true on the migration. That was one of the problems with NAFTA. Uh, it actually accelerated uh, the, uh, illegal immigration into the United States, um, and it's a problem we're still struggling with. Uh, today. Uh, so, so the migration promise is usually not one that works out very well. Uh, and the second thing on kind of dividing up the wages, look, we're losing a lot of high-wage manufacturing, too. You look at the electronic stuff. Uh, and, and so uh, it is true that the, that the lower end tends to go first, but but our biggest trade deficit is an advanced technology Products. And again, it's nothing that the TPP would reverse. We need a manufacturing strategy. We need to invest in our infrastructure. We need to invest in our workers. That's where the president should be putting his energy.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at scott aam, And the website is AmericanManufacturing.org.
0: How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, A unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.